Hello, and welcome to the Storyteller's Mission with Zena Del Lowe, a podcast for artists and storytellers about changing the world for the better through story. Last week, we launched into a discussion about how villains are remarkably similar to heroes. And in fact, if you take that same list of 21 character qualities that I applied to heroes in a previous episode, you can see how they actually apply to villains as well, but with some notable exceptions. So that's what we're doing. We're going through that list and we're looking at it from a villain's point of view. How would it apply to a villain? Now, in last week's episode, we covered the first five of those qualities. Today, we're going to dive right in with number six. Now, for heroes, the quality was give them something noble to believe in. Their cause must be greater than themselves. But for villains, you strike out the word noble. However, in essence, you are still giving them something to believe in. Their cause must be greater than themselves. Now, the catch is their cause may be themselves. They can be incredibly committed to their own agenda, their own selfish gains. There are many a villain who believe that it is the number one priority for them to get the $10 million diamond that is available at the museum. So they can be incredibly committed to a selfish cause. Nevertheless, that's the key. They must be incredibly committed. And the only way for them to be incredibly committed is if it is something they believe in for some reason. So you have to justify that. That is one of the key things here. You have to justify why they so believe this is right. This is worthy. This is the right thing to do for me. It might even mean to hell with everybody else. Literally, they might be planning to blow up Times Square, but somehow in their mind, they have justified that as being okay one way or another. And you have to find a way to justify that. Now, by the way, this is one of the reasons why it's often difficult for those of us who actually aren't insane to write good villains. Because a villain's logic is twisted. And sometimes it's hard for us to fathom how unreasonable, when you really break it down, how could they ever even go there? But one of the things we know about human beings, because we study ourselves and because we're in touch with our own sin nature, is that we can justify a lot of wrong actions. We can justify a lot of our sin. And in fact, we do all the time. We find ways to justify things. We find ways to make it okay so that our conscience feels clear. Now, a lot of times we're denying that, and then we have to come to repentance. Nevertheless, a good villain has found a way to make it seem okay. And your job as the writer is to tap into whatever their reasoning process is that somehow justified that for them. So no matter how bad it is, whatever their action is that they're doing, somehow in their own mind, they have made it okay. And you have to figure out a way to tap into that, to make it believable for the audience. So again, bottom line, give them something to believe in. 
Their cause must be greater than themselves, even if their cause is themselves. Which leads then to number seven. Make it cost something. For them to win, there must be a price, a personal cost to be paid. Now this one is essentially verbatim for the quality that applied to heroes. The same thing holds true for villains as for heroes. It must cost something. For them to win, a price must be paid. Now here's one of the differences. At the end of the day, part of what the villain is paying for, one of the prices for the villains to win generally is his or her own soul. In some way, they will have sold their soul to the devil in order to win. And this comes back to this issue of justification because they have to deny truth. They have to suppress truth. They have to willingly twist things in order to make it okay. And they can't afford to have anybody unravel their logic, which is, by the way, one of the reasons why they are so committed to their cause. Because villains cannot afford to be repentant. Villains cannot afford to find out that everything they stood for was wrong. So they actually become even more dogmatic, even more committed, because they cannot question whether or not what they're doing is right or wrong. They have to get beyond that. They have to be so committed to the cause that they're beyond the construct of good or bad. But it is, in many ways, a false construct. It's a denial. It is a suppression of the truth. Which is why, by the way, sometimes villains are redeemed. Now, I'm thinking in particular of a villain like Darth Vader. Darth Vader was incredibly committed to the cause. Aside from the Emperor, he was the most powerful man, if you can call him a man, on the dark side of the Force. He was absolutely committed to what they were doing, to the Empire. And yet, something happened. Something happened that caused him to question his presuppositions, that called into question everything he stood for, that allowed him to see something dark and evil that went beyond the cause itself in the emperor that finally broke through and caused him to repent. Now his actions are the sign of repentance. That's what happens at the end of episode six. He's repentant. He does something different and shocking. He is redeemed and therefore he gets to die a hero. So sometimes villains can be redeemed, but whether or not they are redeemed, the point is that it has to cost something in order for them to win. And had Darth Vader not repented, what it would have cost him was his son. In fact, it already did, right? In order for him to be where he was as part of the Emperor's inner circle and as one of the most powerful men in the universe, it had already cost him a great deal. He'd given up his life, his family, everything. He'd given it all up. He'd even given up the honor and the integrity of being a heroic Jedi Knight. So villains know that it costs something to win. 
The key is that they are fanatical enough that they're willing to pay the cost. It's why Thanos was able to sacrifice the person that he loved most. Number eight, whereas heroes must have mercy and compassion, to a certain degree, true villains must be merciless. They must be relentless. Again, this goes back to, in part, what has to happen in the human soul in order to justify sin. In order for us to justify it, we have to suppress that part of ourselves that would have compassion or mercy on other people. And we have to magnify our own grandiosity. We have to be proud and arrogant. We can't afford to be humble and repentant, right? If we are committed to something wrong, it actually promotes arrogance and it promotes a lack of mercy, a lack of compassion, a lack of empathy. So it comes back to, again, how human beings are made. We are built in a certain way where there are certain things that have to happen in order for us to be able to carry out certain deeds. And the certain things that happen in our spirit, in our mind, in our emotions, ultimately are what allow us to either do or fail to do whatever it is that we want to do. This is why I often say, we don't have behavior problems. We have belief problems. If you want to correct your behavior, start with the belief. What's behind the belief? That's where you go. You look and see, why am I doing those things? What is it that I believe that is allowing me or causing me to take these actions because technically speaking or logically thinking, I don't want to do these things, but I must have a core belief somewhere that is causing me to do these things. So whenever you have a behavior problem, you start with the belief, which again brings us back to number eight, which is they are merciless, but they're merciless because of the belief behind it and because of the denial of the truth that they must be engaged in, in order for them to even embrace whatever lie, whatever twisted morality they have embraced. Because remember, that's where this all started. They have a twisted worldview, a twisted morality. And that twisted morality isn't just something they inherited willy-nilly or innocently. They have to help it be bent. It's not something that just happens to them. It's something they willfully engage in and make happen. All of which is to say that at the end of the day, you must have a villain who is so driven by whatever their twisted morality is that they sacrifice compassion and mercy in favor of relentless, merciless villainy, if that makes sense. Okay, number nine, make their mission matter. Now, again, this is the same kind of quality that must apply to heroes, but in this case, it applies to villains. The point is it has to be high stakes. You have to have high stakes. It needs to matter to the audience what is at stake. Now, there are several ways that the stakes could be high. On the one hand, it could be because whatever the villainous character is into will have devastating consequences for the rest of the world. Case in point, Thanos. 
If Thanos wins, then half of the world's population will disappear. And not just our world, but everybody's worlds. Half of the population on all planets will disappear. So that means it's pretty high stakes. Or if you have a villain who is planning to blow up the Empire State Building, then all those people are going to die. And guess what? That's pretty high stakes. That's a lot of death. So clearly, that's one kind of high stake. But the other kind of high stake is when we see what's happening to the character, him or herself, and we care about them and we don't want to see them go this route. So for example, Michael Corleone. Michael is a sympathetic character who doesn't want to be part of the family business, who is separate from the family business. And fortunately, he's also super smart. And he's the best hope for the family business. And as things progress, as the story unfolds and things fall apart in the family, Michael does his duty for the family and gets involved. And even though the plan is for him to be taken out of that cycle, he keeps getting pulled back in so that by the end of the first film, He is fully vested. He is the Godfather. He has taken over for his father. He is his father. He is a villain. So as we're watching this story, it's hurting us. The stakes are the loss of who he was supposed to be or who he could have been or what his own dreams were separate from his family. It is part of the stakes that make the story worth it for us. So there are several different ways for the stakes to be high. Okay. And finally, for this week, number 10. So when we talked about heroes, we said, what was one thing that all heroes must do? They must fight. They must fight, they must fight, they must fight. And how I would say that this changes for villains, see, villains don't necessarily want to fight because they just want to get away with whatever their plans are. And then unfortunately, these heroes come along and fight them and obstruct their plans. They would rather not fight. They just want to get their way. But the key to a good villain and the mirror of this quality is that they take action. They take action. They are people of action. They have a plan and by God, they implement it. So they are people who do not sit by idle, doing nothing, twiddling their thumbs. They are proactive and they, they are proactive and they take action. Now, of course, one of the challenges there is that you can't just have your hero be responsive to the villain who takes action. You can't just have the hero only responding. That's one of the tricky things when you have a true villain is that you can't have your main character simply be reactive. The villain can't drive the entire action of the story. Now, part of it is the villain is in many ways driving the action, but we're sticking with the hero. We're following the hero and seeing what action steps they are taking to try to stop the villain or try to track the villain down. So it's because we're seeing the story unfold from the hero's point of view that helps the hero not seem like they are just being reactive to the villain's actions. Nevertheless, 
You ultimately need to be careful about how that happens because it is easy to just then make the hero passive and responsive rather than actually taking action and driving the action of the story himself when the villain is the one ultimately causing all the reasons why the hero has to take those actions. But that is something we can address in more depth another time. In the meantime, the point is that your villain must take action and they must take action swiftly, definitively, decisively. They are not mamsy pamsy. They take action. And by God, your hero must fight. Okay, so these have been five more of the character qualities that we are looking at, some of which applied verbatim to heroes, but some of which had to be changed ever so slightly to apply to villains. And I hope it has been helpful to you and it's giving you all sorts of ideas. You're just sparked full of creative ideas for your own story, as several people said to me when they sent me emails this week, which just delights me. I can't even tell you. Now, before I sign out for today, I do want to make an announcement which is I'm going to be giving a webinar next week. I'm going to be giving a free training webinar next week for screenwriters. This is a free training for screenwriters or people that want to get into screenwriting and it's called formatting as an art form. And if it's something that you would be interested in signing up for, then you're going to want to go to my website and sign up for the Storytellers Digest so that you can get the invite to sign up for the webinar. So again, if you're a screenwriter or want to be a screenwriter, this is something you probably don't want to miss. In the meantime, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the Storyteller's Mission with Zena Del Lowe. May you go forth inspired to change the world for the better through story.